Hey, we're in Isaiah chapter 40 today, if you have your Bible, and we are in the middle of just an unbelievable series called A Season of Hope. If you haven't already, open up your bulletin, take out the notes so you can follow along. And we've been tracing this concept of hope now for about six weeks. We started out six weeks ago, and we talked about what it looked like to lose hope and what happens when you lose hope. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have one that you can use, that you can have today, so just wave at them as they go down the aisle. Well, we started with the question, what happens when you lose hope? Why do you lose hope? What does it look like when you lose hope? Um, And then the second week, we said, how do you regain hope? If you've lost hope, if you're hopeless, if you're helpless... How do you regain hope? And we looked at some steps in how to do that. And then last week, we looked at basically how to, how to keep hope, how to, how to make sure hope sticks in your life and accumulates and builds so that your hope is present in the life of other people. But the question is, what if all that works? What if six weeks ago you came in here and you were hopeless and you realize that? And you realize that according to Proverbs 13, 12, a lack of hope is a spiritual disease. Hope deferred, hope not, ex- hope not experienced makes the heart sick. When, when you live without hope, you have a spiritual disease um, and your heart is sick. What happens if you came in six weeks ago sick spiritually? And then you took the steps to regain hope and you actually began to experience a little hope. And you said, okay, these are the conditions my life needs to have for hope to stick. And maybe hope has begun to accumulate in your life a little bit. What does it actually look like if all that works and you begin living life with hope, what does the life of somebody who has hope look like? What does it look like at home? What does it look like at school? What does it look like in the neighborhood? Dads, what does it look like to your kids? Moms, what does it look like to your husband? When you live with hope, what does that mean for you and what does that look like? That's what I want to talk to you about today in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. What is the results of living with hope look like? And as you've turned there, if you haven't already, let me do say this. You have to come to our Christmas Eve service and you have to invite somebody with you because it's so easy. On December 24th, 5 p.m. at the John Knox Pavilion, a lot of people said, what is that? That's got that pyramid-looking thing right off 50 Highway. That's where we'll have our service that night, right off of kind of Chipman Road. A lot of people said, where exactly is that? It's right there on the outer road of 50 Highway. But I read two statistics this week that I want to share with you. One of them said this. 82% of people who never attend church anywhere said they would go to church at Christmas if one of their friends invited them. Eight out of ten people who never go to church anywhere said they would go to church at Christmas if someone invited them. More than that, 57% of people surveyed who never go to church said they're actually hoping someone will invite them to church on Christmas because they feel like that's one of the things you're supposed to do to really celebrate Christmas, but they don't know where to go. What do you think about that? Six out of ten people in your life who don't go to church anywhere are hoping someone will invite them because they feel like they're supposed to do that at Christmas, but they don't know where to go and they don't want to go by themselves. So when you hear Pastor Ryan say, man, get a card and invite somebody, it's going to work now better than any other week of the year probably except for Easter. So lean into that and think about who you, who you can bring with you to hear about hope on Christmas Eve. In Isaiah chapter 40, we read maybe one of the greatest passages in the Bible about hope and living with hope. And here's what the prophet Isaiah says. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Even youth shall grow tired and weary and young men shall stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40 gives us one of the greatest passages in, on hope in all of the Bible. And Isaiah basically says this, if you will hope in the Lord, here's what's going to happen in your life. If you will have hope, 
here's what you're going to do in life. If you have hope, here's what your life is going to look like to other people. Do you have hope this morning? And if you're trying to figure out, I'm not sure, this message is actually going to tell you. You're going to have a checklist of, if you do these things, you're living with hope. If not, it might be because you're struggling in the hope department. How is your hope level today? The first thing we learn from Isaiah on your outline in the, is we read verses 28 and 29 and we realize what Isaiah is saying and who he's speaking to. We realize that a loss of hope, if you're here today and you have no hope, a loss of hope really takes a short-term memory combined with a bleak view of the future. A, a, a total loss of hope takes us not being able to remember anything good that's ever happened in the past, ever. Like it takes a short-term memory. The things, the things in, the hope that were the, in the past that were bad and got better, we can't focus on any of that at all. To really lose hope, we have to have a short-term memory and not remember anything good that's ever happened before. And we have to have a bleak view of the future just believing that it will never be as good as it once was. As, as a matter of fact, if you can simplify that statement, Isaiah is basically saying you only lose hope when you focus on nothing but now. Like when you only look at today, it's possible to lose hope. When you only look at this week or this month, or, or if you only look at this year or this season in your life, you can lose hope. But Isaiah said if you will think about your past... And you can remember even one time that God showed up in your past, you can have hope. And if you can think about your future and believe that in even one moment of your future, God will show up, you won't lose hope. So losing hope takes a short-term memory. You just forget about everything God has ever done good. It takes a bleak view of the future. You just don't believe God will ever do anything good again. It just kind of takes focusing on now and the lack of hope currently involved in life. Look at Isaiah's questions in verses 28 and 29. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Now, Isaiah is asking metaphorical questions here. Because he's asking spiritual questions to his spiritual people. He's asking religious questions to religious people. So we know his questions are metaphorical. They're meant not to answer this question, but to ask a deeper question. He has a question in verse 28. Do you not know that there's a God? Like, do you not know that there's a God? Everyone in Israel, he's speaking to the nation of Israel, would have said, well, of course we know that. I mean, it's not a lack of intellectual understanding. Of course we know that there's a God. Isaiah then asks, have you not heard? Like, have you not heard of anything that God has ever done? And they're saying, of course, of course we've heard of what God has done. It's not that we don't know about God. It's not that we haven't heard what God has done. We just right now don't believe that God is doing anything or maybe can do anything in the future. We have lost hope now. Isaiah talking to the nation of Israel, I'm sure would have told them, don't you remember what God did in Egypt when we were slaves in Egypt and he brought us out with signs and powers and he kept us alive for 40 years? Don't you know about God and what he did? They would say, yes. Well, haven't you heard about what God did in the period of the judges with Samson and Jephthah and Ehud and Samuel and on and on and on, Ehud and Deborah and Barak? Don't you remember? Haven't you heard about what he did? Well, yeah, we heard that. Didn't you hear about what he did with David and Goliath when David killed Goliath? Have you not heard about what God does when things are difficult in life? And they would have said, yes. Listen, we know about God. We've heard about God. We just, in this scenario, we just can't see God. We, we can't feel God. And it's because they were living in a time which three years ago might not have really connected to our soul, but today it will. Because they were living in a time, Isaiah prophesied in a time when the nation of Assyria was coming against and trying to conquer the nation of Israel and Judah where he lived. Now, 
just to connect this to your soul a little bit in 2015, Assyria was located in modern-day Syria. Israel was located in modern-day Israel. And the Assyrians were the most ruthless, one of the most ruthless nations that have ever existed in the history of the world. They, they were not only a cousin in brutality to ISIS, they would be the godfather of who ISIS was. When you read through secular history, you realize that the signature mark of the Assyrians, when they would go and destroy a town to let people know that they would have been there, the Assyrians would behead everyone in that town, men, women, and children. Then they would pile those heads up at the entrance to the gate of the town. They would skin the dead bodies in the town, sew their skin together, and cover the mound with skin. Then they would burn the entire town so that when you drove by, all you would see was a town that had been destroyed with heads covered by skin in the middle because the Assyrians wanted them to know that was us and you're next. Like three years ago, we would have said that makes no sense at all. But anyone who reads the news now would have been like, whoa, so that's been going on for 2,500 years pretty much. Same geography, same battles, and they were camped outside Israel's door when Isaiah was prophesying. As a matter of fact, twice, two different occasions during the time of Isaiah, it said hundreds of thousands of people came and they surrounded the city of Jerusalem in the Kidron Valley, chasing up the Mount of Olives. For those of you who have been there in your head and can, and can see it, hundreds of thousands of soldiers waiting to come in and do that to the people of Israel. It was a very bleak time. It would have been a time to be very afraid. It would have been a time to say, I'm just really struggling. We had a man in our earlier service who works, who works in governmental agencies that, that work to keep us safe. Um, he and his organization are chasing sleeper cells all over America. And he told me, he said, Christian, your message really ministered to me because he said, man, if you knew the things that I knew, it's really hard to have hope. It's a scary world right now. This was Isaiah's world. So Isaiah stepped into this world where people were scared out of their minds because ISIS, it wasn't ISIS, it was the Assyrians, but you get the picture, were camped right outside their city. They could look at them every day. And they were just wondering, when are they going to break in and do to us what they have done to others, what they are known to do throughout the world? And Isaiah steps in and says, wait a minute, have you not heard? Like, well, yeah, we've heard, but look who's here. Do you not know about God? Well, yeah, we know, but what is he going to do about them? And, and a loss of hope takes a short-term memory yeah, we know what God did, but how could he do anything now with a bleak view of the future? I, I don't think God's going to step in and do anything here. Israel had seen hard days and come through them before in Egypt. They'd fought bigger battles with the nation of, of the Philistines over a period of nearly 100 years. But in the midst of this hardship, it was hard for them to see hope. And that's where a lot of you may be in your life right now. You may be living in a season of hardship that's really hard to see hope in. You've heard about hope. You've heard about God. You even believe in God. He just isn't putting much hope in your spirit right now because when life gets hard, faith gets hazy. It's just harder to see God when life is difficult. When life gets hard, our faith gets hazy. Have you ever driven on a really, really foggy day around your neighborhood or out your road or to the grocery store to drop your kids off at school or take your kids to practice? Roads that you could, roads that you could almost drive with your eyes closed. But when they're foggy and you, you can't really tell what's where, you just, you just feel lost. You're not sure if you're on the road and what side of the road and if there's anything in front of you and where that bend is. It just, it just kind of messes with your senses because you can't see anything. That's what difficulties do to faith. 
It's just kind of hard to navigate really where God is and how we're going to get where we need to go. And Isaiah 40, 30 says it this way. Hey, this happens. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. It's not if, it's when. This happens. So if your faith is hazy right now, and it's hard to see hope, I bet I know why. I bet you've got these conditions of difficult, hazy faith right now. What are they? Spiritual conditions that make faith a little hazy, number one, tired. Are you tired? It's the end of the year. I told Danielle, I can't believe we're on Sunday 51. We, we gauge our years by Sundays. Next week will be the last Sunday of the year, and then somehow we'll reboot and act like it all happens all over again. Even though it's one continual string, it's like something about the new year. Let's just start over. It's the end of the year. Some of you physically are just worn out. And when you physically get tired, sometimes your faith gets hazy. Are you weary? Tiredness speaks to a physical condition. Weary is basically emotional exhaustion. Some of you are in here today and your body feels okay, but your emotions are shot. You can say, hey, I got a good eight hours of sleep last night, but emotionally I haven't slept in months. My emotions are frayed. I'm weary. I'm weary right now. And my weariness is causing my faith to just be a little hazy. Are you stumbling? Stumbling is something that causes us to lose sight of our faith. Are, 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 you, are you one of the people, because there's a bunch of them, who every Sunday morning get so filled with Jesus? I mean, the, the, the topics of our messages, the, the words of worship, kind of the community of Christians that you're around, you leave every Sunday thinking, I am really going to sell out for Jesus. And you mean it wholeheartedly every Sunday. And by the next Friday and Saturday, you're kind of back doing the same old stuff. And you're stumbling around spiritually and you, you can't really get a gauge on your faith because you, you can't quit stumbling spiritually? Or are you falling? Falling is a spiritual condition that makes faith hazy. When I make a big commitment and I can't keep it, I just feel like I should quit. When I make that commitment 20 times and I don't keep it 20 times, I just feel like maybe I should quit. When I really want something spiritually, but I, I just can't get stuff together to get it, I want to quit. See, Isaiah told the people, have you not heard? Do you not see? Have you not heard? It's like, okay, we know you've seen and heard, Isaiah said, but here's the deal. You're tired. You're weary. You're stumbling. You're falling. The enemy's right outside your gate. I get it. But he said, we can't live with a short-term memory, forgetting everything that God has ever done. The reality is some of you are struggling with things now that are smaller than what God has helped you through in the past. It's just hard to remember that and think, you know what? God helped me with this. God helped me with that. He'll help me with this. And some of you, because you're stumbling and falling, you cannot see a future with Jesus in it because you're not willing to commit, you don't think you can follow through, or you're just wondering if if it's for you long term. So a loss of hope happens when short-term memory kicks in, a bleak view of the future kicks in, all you see is right now, and life is just hopeless. But we also see with Isaiah number two, hope is seen in the attitude with which we wait. Hope is not just seen in waiting. Hope is seen in the attitude that we wait with. Hope is seen in how we wait. Let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever bitten into a piece of rotten fruit? I, I mean, like even accidentally. I mean, you know it immediately, right? Um, the Bible talks about Christians having spiritual fruit. It actually lists nine of them, love, joy, peace. My rotten spiritual fruit is patience. I'm just like, I'm, I, I don't know about you. I don't like to wait. Like, I don't like to wait. For anything. I don't like to wait in lines. I don't like to wait in traffic. I don't like to wait on the mail. I don't like to wait on food at restaurants. Like I, I have so much to do. I wish I could do everything a minute ago. I don't like 
to wait. Like what they have done on Chipman Road and Summit Fair in this holiday season. Um, like I'm not a better Christian when I go there this time of year. I'm a, I'm a worse Christian. Like, like patience for me is the brown spot on, on my banana. Like it's the soft part of the apple. It's the, it's the little green fuzz on the raspberries that stay too long. And like, like, I, like probably impatience is one of my spiritual fruit. I'm not good there. I don't like to wait. And when Isaiah says, just wait, it's like that, that doesn't compute with me spiritually waiting on God. I don't like to wait on anyone or anything. And on Isaiah 40, 31, I read something a few weeks ago as I prepared for this series that was different than I had read this in the past. Let me show you what I mean. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. I read that several weeks ago in preparing this message, and I thought, that's not what that verse says. I actually had to read it in two or three Bibles because I thought that's not how that verse goes. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. I, I got a couple different, this is a New International Version Bible. I got a couple different ones of these to make sure I was reading that right because I'd never read that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Because when I was younger, I every summer went to Fellowship of Christian Athletes football camp. And every year we get like camp shirts that have a verse on the back. And one year, one of the verses was Isaiah 40, 31. And it said this, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So I had this verse memorized, but it was a different word. And I actually, every time I read that verse, I thought, that's not me. There's a lot of promises in the Bible for me. That's not one of them. Those who wait upon the Lord, I'm probably not going to get that one. But I read it and it said, those who hope in the Lord. And I thought, wait a minute. And I just, I kind of stopped. Now, here's what you need to know if you don't. The Bible was not originally written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And the best scholars in the world have studied ancient Greek. They've studied ancient Hebrew. They've studied modern English. And they keep trying to translate the Hebrew and Greek ideas into the most modern language to give the most accurate message that could be possible. Because language changes about every hundred years. The words that mean things now that they didn't used to mean, words that didn't even exist a few years ago. Danielle and I were shopping for Christmas yesterday, and and she brought me a shirt, and she said, do you think Christian would kill me if I got this shirt? And it was a shirt that just said, on fleek. Um, And I was like, you know, that word didn't even exist like when we were in high school. The word Google didn't exist, much less in action, Google it. So words change. So I went back through all my Bibles because every year I read the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation and every year I read it in a new translation because I'm trying to look for new English words just to kind of trigger my mind. So I thought, okay, those who wait in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, well, what's the words? So I went to the King James Version, the New King James Version, English Standard Version, and they, they all said those who wait on the Lord. And I thought, okay, I, I'm not very good in those versions, those who wait on the Lord. I don't, I don't like to wait. But you can wait with a good attitude. Do you remember... Those of you who maybe have grandparents that live out of town or, or parents now who live out of town, do you remember when you were little on Christmas and like grandma and grandpa were coming over or Thanksgiving and, and aunts and uncles and cousins were coming over? Like I grew up in a house that had a couch that sat like right in front of a picture window. And I remember with my sisters getting up like in our pajamas. And even though we knew grandma and grandpa and the cousins and everyone weren't going to get, like we would sit on the back of that couch and all day long we would wait. And every time we'd hear a car coming down the road, we'd get excited. We waited in great anticipation of all the relatives getting there because we couldn't wait to play. We couldn't wait to get their presents. We couldn't wait for grandma and grandpa to give us money. I mean, all those good things that came with them. Like, we waited with great anticipation. Let me ask you now, as an adult who has to clean the house, cook the food, get all the beds ready, find all the, do you, do you, you wait, but do you wait with the same anticipation? 
Does the car coming down the road make you say, yay, or oh, no, they're here already? Like, now, I wait the same way because I love my family. But, you know, you may be, you may be, might be a different, it might be a different waiting now. Maybe the way that I wait for my wife, and I've been waiting for my wife for over 17 years to get ready for everything <laughs> that we've ever done. My wife was 30 minutes late to our wedding. That is a true story. And I knew, they said, were you worried? To no. That, she was actually, for her, that's pretty good, 30 minutes. Like, I think, I think God gave me Danielle just to help me grow patience because he knew how impatient that I was. Maybe the best picture of spiritual waiting is kids that go to sleep on Christmas Eve knowing that tomorrow is going to be awesome, knowing that when they wake up, everything is going to be perfect and being so excited that they almost can't go to bed. When you are in trials, is it hard to sleep because you're so excited about what God will do tomorrow that you can't wait to get to it? Or do you struggle to sleep because you wonder if God's even going to be there tomorrow? See, it's not just waiting. It's the attitude of waiting. So I went to the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the New Living Translation, the contemporary English version, and I read those and it said, those who trust in the Lord. I thought, all right. I get that. Those who wait in the Lord, I think I would struggle to do that. But that's not what Isaiah was saying, just wait. Isaiah was saying trust, those who trust in the Lord. And I thought, okay, that's different. Trusting is different than waiting. And then I went to the New American Standard Bible, and it said those who wait, and it had a footnote, but it said waiting is really is hoping in. It's those who hope in. So I took these words, and I began to put them together to try to grasp what Isaiah was saying. And here's what I learned. Here are the spiritual equations of hope. Waiting while trusting equals hoping. Waiting with a deep trust in what's going to come in the morning. Waiting with a certain faith that God is there in the future. Waiting with trusting births hope in your soul. And then waiting with hope actually produces action in your Christian life. And there are so many Christians right now who are stalled on the side of the road because they're waiting on God to show up. And God said, I will show up if you do these 10 things. And they'll say, well, I'll do, I will do those 10 things if you show up. And it's like a tug of war. And Isaiah never meant just stop. He said, have hope, have trust while you wait and keep moving forward. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8 when he talked about difficulties, having a hope in the midst of difficult times. He said, I consider that our present sufferings in Romans 8.18, the things I'm going through now are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So I'm sure that what I'm experiencing now is nothing compared to what I'll experience then because it'll be that much better. And then in verse 24, he says this, for in this hope, what hope? That what I'm going through now is nothing compared to what Jesus has for me in the future. This hope... In this hope we were saved for future things. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. So it's the attitude in waiting. And then Paul goes on to say in verses 38 and 39 how confident he is while he waits patiently. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, I don't doubt for a minute that when I go to bed there are going to be presents under the tree tomorrow. I am so certain God is in my future. I live with expectancy. I live with hope. I live with faith. I live with action. I just keep moving forward. If God's not there tomorrow, he's going to be at the end of the next day or the end of the next day or the end of the next day. But I'm not going to sit still. I'm going to keep pursuing God because hope convinces us that God is going to be there for us through everything that we face, 
especially in the difficult times. So hope is an attitude. But hope is an attitude that leads to active faith. And this is where you can kind of gauge now, have you lost hope? Or do you still have a little bit of hope as you pursue your life spiritually? Look at verse 31 in the results of living with hope. But those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, what happens to them? They renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Paul say, uh, Isaiah said, you want to know how you have hope? Here's the spiritual description of people living with hope. They're soaring spiritually. They're running spiritually. They're walking spiritually. So let me ask you a question. Are you soaring spiritually right now? Most of us would say, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm soaring spiritually. Okay, are you running spiritually? You running spiritually at all? Some of us would say, I would not characterize my, my faith right now as running spiritually. I say, okay, are you walking? Like, are you even walking? I mean, maybe the car is out of gas, but are you behind the car and are you pushing it to the next gas station? Are you even walking? And some of us would say, you know, I've just, I've just, kind, of, I've just kind of stopped spiritually. And I would say you've lost hope. Because when you quit moving in your faith, you've lost hope. You see, living with hope leads you to do something spiritually even while you wait. So waiting is not a posture. Waiting is an attitude. But it's an attitude spiritually that has action attached to it. So we look at the ministry of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied for more than 50 years. He prophesied to four different kings of Israel and Judah. He has 66 chapters in the Bible. One of the longest books in the Old Testament is very difficult to get through. If you just read your Bible every day, it takes a long time to get through Isaiah. But Isaiah's greatest influence, he prophesied to Uzziah, he prophesied to Ahaz, he prophesied to Hezekiah. His greatest influence was on a king named Hezekiah, who is remembered in Israeli history, for how he trusted. He's remembered for how his faith and his trust led him to be active in protecting Israel and living out his faith. And, and here's what's really cool. When you study the kings of Israel and Judah, like there are kings, if you say, Christian, I'm looking for this, I would say, go study this king. If you want to have a heart for God, study the life of David. If you study the life of Solomon, you, Solomon was known for his what? He's known for his wisdom. David was known for his heart. Solomon was known for his wisdom. Solomon's grandson Asa was known for the purifying effect he had on Israel. He cleansed Israel of all the idols. Joash, who was several down the line, was known for living for God while he had a mentor in his life. The greatest picture of somebody who, who walks closer to God with a mentor in their life is Joash. Josiah was known as the king who repented and turned to God more wholeheartedly than anyone before or after him. The Bible actually says that Josiah turned with his whole heart to God and followed God more obediently than anyone who came before him or anyone who came after him. David would have went to Josiah to learn how to be obedient, as would Solomon. But it's said of Hezekiah that no God, no, no king, trusted God so wholeheartedly as Hezekiah. No king before him, no king after him exhibited the trust and the hope and the action that Hezekiah did. And Hezekiah's trust isn't just remembered through his spiritual emotion. We don't see him being an, a positive guy. It's remembered through his spiritual actions. It's remembered through what he did. 
Because waiting plus trusting equals hoping, and waiting plus hoping equals action. So when we read the story of Hezekiah in the Bible, Hezekiah built more than any other king of Israel. Hezekiah worked harder than any other king of Israel. Hezekiah prayed more passionately than any of the kings of Israel. Hezekiah gave bigger than all the kings of Israel, and he did all of it before God did anything for him. He did it all with Isis right out his front gate. He did it all while standing on the wall and listening to the lead general saying, we're coming in and we're going to kill everyone just like we've done in every other city. Hezekiah had a hope and a trust in God that said, you know what? I see what's going on, but I know God. I'm going to trust him for my future and I'm going to do everything that I can to put myself in a position for God to meet me kind of halfway. One of the great church fathers and theologians that's ever lived is a, a guy named Augustine. He's known as St. Augustine by the Catholic Church. He has this quote that describes the DNA, spiritual DNA of Hezekiah so well. He said, pray as though everything depended on God, but work as though everything depended on you. You got to pray as if everything depends on God, but you got to work as if everything depends on you. He basically is saying, trust God for the future and go as hard as you can right now. Lean into God. Meet him halfway. Because it may be the next corner you turn where God is waiting to give you strength for the next mile of your race. So Hezekiah did more in faith. Hezekiah believed more in faith. Hezekiah received more in faith. And Hezekiah left more in faith than any other king of Israel. And we say, what do you mean he left more? I mean, when you go to Israel, you can see the things that Hezekiah did and you can see the things that Hezekiah built. All the things David built, there's nothing there. All the things that Solomon built, there's really nothing there. All the things that Asa threw away and burned, you can't find any of those. You can't really see Joash's mentor. You can't touch and feel Josiah's repentance and obedience. But the actions of Hezekiah live through the lens of hope. They're there. If you ever come to Israel with me one day, one of the first places I'll take you when we get to Jerusalem is a picture of this broad wall. This was the wall. Again, let me give you a parallel. As the Assyrians destroyed towns, they created refugees that had nowhere to go. So tens of thousands of refugees came from northern Israel down to Jerusalem, and they said, you've got to help us. They're going to kill us. And Hezekiah said, there's nowhere, to, there's nowhere here for you to stay. And they said, you've got to help us. If you don't help us, they're going to kill us. So Hezekiah said, I'm not sure how God is going to show up, but I'm going to do my part. So he demanded that an additional wall be built around the western slope of Jerusalem. And he said, we basically will build a brand new city for you, just trusting that when Assyria gets here, it'll go differently. And he built this wall 2,500 years ago that you can still go look at. A wall built in hope that communicates hope to us today. You can walk through the tunnel that he and his men built. There you see the Siloam scripture. And this is a tunnel. When the Assyrians were coming, Hezekiah knew if he didn't get water inside the city, everyone would die in a matter of time. So he said, we got to get the water from the spring inside the city. There's only one problem. There was a mountain in between. So Hezekiah said, I'm not sure how God's going to work, but here's what we're going to do. One group of you start on this side of the mountain. One group of you start on this side of the mountain. Just start digging and hopefully you'll meet somewhere in the middle. And when that tunnel met in the middle and channeled water into the city of Israel, the tunnel you can walk through, if you can bear being in a quarter mile with the walls touching you on either side and water up to your thighs and pitch black, you should walk this tunnel. I've done it about a half dozen times. Where that wall met, the workmen inscribed on the wall, this is the tunnel that Hezekiah commanded to be built coming from two different angles. One of the oldest archaeological inscriptions ever covered in Israel is from Hezekiah who built the tunnel in hope, not knowing what God was going to do, but saying, I'll do everything I can do and then I'll trust God to show up. 
Just two weeks ago, they released an article, an archaeological journal did, that they have found the seal of Hezekiah. This would have been the seal that he would have worn on his ring. He would have stamped every document and every decision with it. It says, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz. It proves that Hezekiah existed where he existed in the time that he existed and that his kingdom withstood the Assyrians who did not take him over. I look and I say, God, why why would you allow all Hezekiah's stuff to remain? I mean, David killed Goliath. That's cool. We all want to kill a 10-foot person. I mean, that just, that just would be good for our faith. And God's like, yeah, there's probably not very many of those around anymore. It's like, yeah, God, well, why didn't you leave anything from Solomon? Like, I, I love to be really smart and write a bunch of songs and proverbs and stuff. And God's like, yeah, that's, you know, that's probably, that's probably not going to be real motivational for you either. But Hezekiah, everyone needs to learn to hope. Everyone needs to learn that when things are bad... You just keep pushing. You just build and you trust what God will do after you build. You just dig deep and you trust what God will do after you dig deep. You just keep making spiritual decisions and stamping them with the Holy Spirit inside of you and you just trust that God's going to be there at the end of it. You just move forward in hope. See, I believe his work remains because it was built on hope. And his life shows us that a life of hope is a life of active faith. So you look at 2015, and some of you, I mean, we're like 350-some days into this year. Some of you are tired. I get it. It can cause you to lose hope. Some of you are weary. It's been the heaviest emotional year of your life. And you can't commit to anything right now because you're, you're not sure what's beyond your front bumper spiritually. Some of you have stumbled. It's been a bad year for you spiritually. And it's caused you to lose hope. Some of you have fallen off completely. Isaiah says, look, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you've stumbled, if you've fallen, you know what the answer is? Hope in the Lord. It will renew your strength. You know what he's saying? Push into Jesus. Why shouldn't 2016 be the year you read your Bible more than ever before? Well, I'm waiting on God to tell me to do that. What if he does it 13 days in? Why don't you just start living your faith and meet God on the way there? What if 2016 is your year to pray more than you've ever prayed before? Just trust Him and start leaning in. What if 2016 is your year to finally get into a small group and say, it didn't work at the last place, but I'm going to try it because I want to meet God on the way. What if 2016 is your year to finally join a ministry team and start volunteering and just trust that God's going to do something to you on that journey? What if 2016 is your year to give like you believe it matters and that God will bless you and you just say, God, at some point I know you're going to show up. Why not let in your life and in your heart 2016 be the year that your hope is seen in your life through your act of faith? You see, if you live with hope, you can walk, you can run, you can soar, you just can't sit still. Because if you have hope in your soul, you have action in your feet. And you pursue Jesus in a way that passionate Christians make a difference in the world because of the way they pursue Jesus. But you can only do that through hope. Would you pray with me today?